Well, let's pray. We'll jump right into this. Uh, we're finishing, uh, at least I'm finishing my part of this uh, talk on abiding. And so we're going to dive into a different angle of it today. Um, and so just pray that God will help us to uh, hear what he wants us to hear and for us to receive it. We have a lot of things going on in life that can bring distraction, a lot of things that can uh, just get our mind in different places or get our heart in different spots. And so we take time to hear God's word. We want it to land on good soil and we can be a part of making that ready just by praying and asking God to help us to understand and hear what he wants to share. So, Father, I thank you for your word, and God, we pray, Lord, that as Isaiah said, Lord, that your word will not return void today, but, Lord, that it will accomplish, God, everything that you're sending it out to do. Lord, let it fall on good ground. Lord, we receive your Holy Spirit to teach us, to lead us, to guide us into truth. Lord, to convict us, Lord, and to encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about uh, abiding today, but abiding in the life of Jesus. To actually abide, he says in John, he says to abide in me, right? And so we abide sometimes like in, in the idea of Jesus. We, we abide in his teaching. Like, you know, I want, to, I want to pray. I want to read the word. I want to obey. I want to do things. But to abide in the life of Jesus is even a little bit deeper than that. It's a little bit more uh, committed than that. And so I want to kind of get us into a little different train of thought, maybe than what we normally hear in culture or in church sometimes about what it is to be a believer, what it is to be a Christian, what it is to walk with Jesus, uh, but to actually just kind of maybe give us a little, little different view of what that might actually be like. And so uh, I'm going to take you through some uh, verses. Basically, we're going to run through an entire chapter of the Bible today. Uh, we're just going to work our way through Isaiah 53 uh, here in just a minute. Uh, but I want to start just by giving an example as we, as we go into that. And the example I want to talk about is marriage, uh, just for a second. And we actually have an awesome couple over here getting ready to get married. Uh, they're on their... <laughs> this, is like, this is like, you got like, what, like a, six days left. Of, sing, of doing this thing, okay? And then, and then that's it. Tie the knot, done deal. Two, well, yours is, yours is right there. Boom. Like you're, looking, you're looking over the ledge. Your little roller coaster going up, click, 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 is right at the, right at the top right there. So you're in. Uh, but marriage is a, is a commitment, right? It's like a lifelong commitment. Now, when you write your vows, who wrote their own vows or who did the vows that are standard? Okay, you write, some people like to write their own vows, Right? Like, you know, the standard vows are for better or what? Worse. That's not why you get married, right? You get married for the good, right? For the blessing, for the fun, right? For all those nice things. So if I rewrite my own vows and got married again, it'd be for better or best, right? So for better or best, we're going to stay together. But let's keep it that direction. Let's not go better or worse. We don't want to deal with this struggle. But that's not how marriage works, right? Marriage works it is for better or worse. It's not just a statement, but I mean, that's in there because that's marriage. It has goods and bads. It has ups and downs. It has different struggles. It has things going on. And I was actually in a conversation the other day with somebody about just this whole kind of culture that we live in uh, with like hookup culture and like everybody wants to like, well, we just hook up with a lot of people or else we uh, get together, but we're never going to get married, you know, because we're just kind of testing things out and see how it goes first and, and do all that for a while and see if we actually want to be together and all that. And you know, the problem with that is that you're not really testing anything out, at least not marriage. You're not testing out God's design because God's design of marriage includes the hard part. 
And so if you got on a roller coaster, right, and the guy goes to put the bar down, you know, the lock bar that, like, locks you in, and as he goes to lock it down, you said, oh, stop. And he's like, what do you mean? Don't lock me in. I'm just testing it out. <laughs> I just want to see if I like the ride first. Okay, what would happen? You start out like, woo, and then all of a sudden you get to the turn, and it's like turning, like, shh, you start going, uh, all of a sudden you realize, oh, no. Right? First time it goes through a loop, what happens to you? You get thrown in the bushes and break your neck. That's it. You're done. Right? Out. Well, the same thing happens when people get in a relationship, but they don't want to commit because they're testing it out. Well, what happens the first time you go through a really hard time? What happens the very first time that life throws you for, for a loop? You get thrown out. And you end up thrown to the side, broken, hurt, wounded, damaged. Because what? Because don't, don't lock me in. I'm testing it. I just want to try it. But that's not how it was designed to be ran. To actually test it out requires the lockdown. Because the whole ride is designed for both the nice parts and the hard parts. Like it's designed that way. So the lock-in is part of testing. It's part of knowing how it works. Anything outside of that, you're going to have just a, a, a really bad experience. <laughs> and so what, what's that have to do with this message? Well, it has to do with what it means to be committed to walk with Jesus. You know, there's a phrase people use sometimes, and they say, you know, just try Jesus. Don't try Jesus. Do not ever do that. And please don't ever say that to somebody. You don't try Jesus. Because the first time that you get in a difficult situation, and you don't feel like, well, Jesus isn't doing it, somebody says, hey, I'm out. Okay, that's not how it's designed. That's not how Jesus approached people. Somebody says, hey, I want to follow you. Do you know what he said? Sell everything you have. And come follow me. Does that sound like you're trying? Sound like you're testing? Like you're just going to see how it feels? No. What he said is, you know what? If you want to do it, pull the lock bar down and get all in with me. Why? Because in this life, we're going to have many troubles. We're going to go through some stuff. If you want to ride with me, you better buckle up. Because we're going in. And that's how we're going to do this. And so there's a, a need that we have to actually walk with Jesus, to be fully committed in just like a marriage, and the church is, is compared to the bride of Christ. He compares it to marriage in the word. And so there's this idea of abiding that's all in. So that's what we're going to get into Isaiah 53 with that in our mind, that it's not just for better or best. Okay, Faith, Christianity, our abiding with Christ is for both better and worse. Because there's parts of walking with the Lord that are hard. They're difficult. They're challenging. And you'll see other people that aren't following Jesus that seem to be having an easier time. And the reason they seem to be having an easier time in some areas is because, guess what? They actually are. Your eyes aren't deceiving you. They have a little more money because they're not giving any money away. They have a little less burdens because they're not carrying anyone else's burdens, just their own. They're enjoying some of the things in this life a little bit better. Because they don't have any rules or regulations. They can do whatever they want. There's some things that they're able to do or to have fun or to be self-centered or to take things in their own and not deal with other people's problems. They're maybe a little more rested than you because you've been serving. They haven't been serving. And you're like, man, that looks easier. Do you know what? Because for a time and a season, it actually can be a little easier. But it doesn't mean it's more fulfilling and it doesn't mean that it accomplishes your purpose and it doesn't mean it brings you closer to Christ or for the reason that we're here. So it's looking at saying, well, what's this about? It's not just about my satisfaction, but it's about something bigger than that. So Isaiah 53, to abide in the life of Christ, we need to know what that life really looked like. And it's not just my Jesus, my beautiful Savior, my wonderful King, you know, the, all these things. 
It's actually, this is his life. It's talking about, it's prophesying. It says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up, talking about Jesus, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. It's saying, you know what? Jesus, when he came to the earth, he grew up like right out of dry, hard ground. Have you ever felt like the environment that you're in, that you're trying to grow in, that you're trying to change in, that you're trying to like move forward in your faith or in your life, is like just dry, hard ground? You ever felt like that? Like, I'm trying to move forward, but it is so dry. Maybe you've been through an abusive situation, or you've been through the loss of a loved one, or you've been through difficult financial things, or you're in a work environment where everybody's against you, but you're going through something. You're like, I'm trying to move forward, but man, it is so dry. It is so hard. Well, do you know what? Jesus grew up the same way. He comes and the earth, he comes here to seek and to save the lost. He comes here to bring blessing, and he only has good on his mind. But guess what? The way was hard and it was dry. And there was people against him. There's people against him growing. And so we say, Lord, why aren't you with me? Why am I going through the struggle, but you're not with me? Why, am I, why is it so hard? I thought you were helping me. He went through the same struggle. He's been through the same thing. And sometimes when we are in our struggle, we're wondering why he doesn't see us. But the real question is, how come we're not seeing him in our struggle? Because every time we go through something like that, one of the things that it can do and should do is it should cause us to reflect on how incredible it was that he came to seek and save us. Like, I'm going through a hard struggle, and you know, I hate going through this. It's so hard. And then we say, Lord, why don't you help me? Well, pause. I'm going through a struggle, and it's so hard, and I hate this. I can't believe this. And do you know what? He didn't need to do it. But he came out of heaven to come down here and go through a similar struggle just so he could get to me. Like, God, I, I don't choose this struggle. I'm just trying to get out of it. He chose the struggle and came into it just to get to me. And it can open up and reveal a depth of God's love because I can understand that he's been through a similar thing. And we can have that as we open our mind to it not just being about us. But looking at things in life that could be about him. He was willing to put the work in to build something with us. You ever felt unattractive, unvalued, or undesired? The God of the universe that made everything subjected himself to come down into this earth to live with the people that he made and experience what it is to be unvalued, uncared for, and to be looked at as ugly and undesirable. Like he literally, up there, he's, the, he's over everything. He said, I'm going to put that to the side. I'm going to come down. I'm going to let everybody view me in a way that's not even my real me. Because they don't understand who I am. But I'm going to allow that. I'm going to experience that. I'm going to walk in that. So he took that on. It says that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. There's nothing about Jesus looking at him as he walked the earth that goes, man, that is one. I need to follow that dude. He's looking good today. He just came down and said, you want to come down and just fit into the crowd and know what it is to be insignificant and unwanted. I'm going to walk that route. That's a choice. He could have chose. The Bible says that we were knitted together in our mother's womb by God. God could have, could have designed himself to look and feel like anything he wanted to. He chose to come down and just to slide in and to fit in. 
and to be looked down on and to not stand out. Maybe you felt that way about yourself. Say, Lord, why didn't you make me different? Why didn't you make me better? I want to be able to do something for you. I want to matter. You know, you don't have to be viewed by others in that way for you to matter because look at all that Jesus did and he was viewed in a way where people thought he didn't have a lot of value. Value doesn't come from how people view us. The value comes from the one that made us and what he's called us to do and who he is. And so when you look around and go, oh, I don't know if I, we look to him. It should point us back to him and say, man, looking at the life of Jesus, looking at what he went through, and looking at how he was unvalued, and yet he continued to serve, he continued to trust the Father, he continued to walk in faith, he continued to sacrifice, he continued to love others, and look at all the impact he made. So even though I'm unvalued, and I'm despised, and I'm looked down on, and I'm unattractive, or whatever the case might be, if I continue to serve, and to have faith, and to pray, and to follow the, the leading of the Father, I can make a difference, and I can have a significant impact. Because he came to show us the way to do that. He came, and, and he models this for us. In fact, it says in the next verse that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. Suffering. He went through the difficult trials of suffering through things, familiar with pain. Like, this is Jesus. You've been through pain, you've been through hardship, you've been through a difficulty. You're going through one now. Maybe you're looking at one ahead that you're going to have to face. You say, where are you? Why, am I, why is this happening to me? I thought that I, I'm supposed to be a Christian now. Everything's supposed to be good and smooth. And I thought God loves me and he's for me. And I'm his child. I'm a joint heir. Like I'm lifted up. I'm all these things. And yet here's suffering. We try so hard sometimes to get away from suffering. Like we could spend our whole life trying to get away from suffering. Right? I need to get away from suffering. Like, Pull up to Chick-fil-A. I look at, oh, look, inside's crowded. I better get in the drive-thru. The drive-thru's crowded. I better just call Uber Eats. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to have to get in a car and then drive somewhere. And then I can't go inside, it's too long. And I can't get in the drive-thru, it's too long. So, you know, I just want to sit on my couch and watch my show, and I want to have Uber Eats come. I don't care if it costs me another $140 to get it here. And it's cold by then. I just want it at my door. And then the doorbell rings. Ding dong. Oh, I got to get up? Are you kidding? Hold on. Let me get my kids to go get that for me. They're in the other room? Hold on. Let me get my phone. I can text them. I don't have my phone. Honey, bring me my phone. I left it in the bathroom. There we go. Now I got my phone and I can text and they can bring my food and I didn't have to suffer. Like, we have so many ways that we try to just get out of suffering. Our whole entire economy is built on trying to eliminate suffering. And yet, suffering is what Jesus actually walked through in order to reach us and to love us. And I want to open, just, I want you to just think on something. There's a, a kind of a concept that suffering is simply a result of sin. That the whole reason that we have suffering is because Adam and Eve sinned and screwed things up. But before that, like the original design of God, there was no suffering. Everything was perfect. But do you know that that's actually not quite true? That God's original plan, his original design, even in the Garden of Eden before sin, when everything was perfect, he included suffering? It was part of the original design. Well, what do you mean? God doesn't want people to suffer? We suffer and we feel suffering when we lack what we want to have, right? 
I need that. I want that. That looks good. That would help me. I, I can't have that. That makes me suffer. Now, there's a different kind of suffering, which is abuse and hurt and pain that somebody's doing with sin. That's a whole other type of suffering. But there's also just a suffering where we're suffering because I can't have what I want and what I need right now, what I think I, what I, think I deserve or what I, what I think can make me better. God makes a beautiful world that's perfect, a beautiful garden that's perfect, and he sets Adam and Eve in there. If he had left it like that, with all the wonderful things to eat and all the animals and all the stuff, guess what? There'd be no suffering. But what did he do? Right in the middle of this beautiful place, he drops one tree and he says, don't touch it. Don't eat out of that thing. What did he do there? Immediately, he immediately introduced suffering. Immediately, there's something that is in the thing and he points it. He didn't just secretly let it grow up. He puts it in and then he points at it, don't do this. And he causes them to have this suffering now. We're in a beautiful place that you created, and I got to deal with this now. There's always that one tree. I can't, do, I can't eat that one. What's suffering? What's suffering is the self-will, the self-focus, the I need, the I want. The only way to truly love and to truly care for someone and to truly have that depth of appreciation and relationship with somebody is to be able to actually have something that you can actually say, okay, I'm, I'm choosing that even over my own self need or want at this moment. And you're expressing a depth of love, a depth of connections. Moms do it with their babies. Baby's born and guess what? 2 a.m., Baby starts crying. Oh, I'm tired. Can somebody shut the door? Bring me my earplugs. Is that how it works? No, it's like, okay, I'm getting up. I'm getting that baby. And there's a sacrifice. There's a bit of suffering introduced where you, you are showing love through what you're willing to do that puts some of your own needs aside. Right away, God introduced this thing, and he says, this is how we're going to learn what relationship's about. You're going to learn to choose me over something. Otherwise, what's the point of choice? He gives them free will, gives them free choice. It has to be something to choose. So here, you can choose me. You can choose to come towards me. And so we can't always run from suffering because sometimes it's there because God is doing something that's actually good out of it. God's doing something that draws us closer, that reveals relationships, that allows us to choose something better over ourselves and to grow and to move forward. It helps us mature. It helps us become more like him. It's what he did when he left heaven and he came down here. He made a choice to come into suffering. Why? In order to have a deeper relationship with us. In order to restore and to reconcile us to himself. And so it's not always bad if there's something going on in your life. That's why Paul says that he rejoices in tribulation. He rejoices in suffering. Why? Because it produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. Hope doesn't disappoint. Why? It says because it's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts through Christ Jesus. All of that coming through what? It's all coming through the entry point of suffering of a difficulty. So maybe you're going through something hard right now, or maybe you've been through something hard and you can't move past it because I just can't move past it. It's too traumatic. It was too hard. Sometimes it helps to look back at the hard thing that you went through and say, this was suffering and all I see in it is bad. But if God works all things together for my good, what in there could have been an entry point to introducing me to a deeper knowledge of his love and who he is and to, to connecting with him. Or helping me to love others in a better way or to connect with others. What is it in there that could have been the good? 
and to take a relook and to see that or to see how does this teach me more about my Savior? Do you want to know Jesus? How could you possibly know him if you aren't willing to like really look at the life he lived and the suffering that he had? If you get in a relationship with somebody and they come out of all kinds of traumatic abuse or they come out of the military and they've been through all types of things overseas and they've got all types of PTSD and problems, you're like, you know, I want, to be, I want to be in relationship with you, but don't ever tell me about anything that you're going through. Like, I know you served like, you know, four tours and you've been through all kinds of stuff, but I don't ever, like, don't even talk about it. You're, you're out now. So I don't even want to know that you were ever, like, we'll just talk about other things. We'll just move on forward towards whatever's good. You wouldn't know them. Well, if we want to know Jesus and have a deeper intimacy and relationship with him, part of that comes through connecting to the hard things that he went through and the suffering that he went through. And the cross, the actual, just the crucifixion on the cross was not the only thing that he went through. may not even been the hardest thing. Not the physical part. Because there was emotional and spiritual parts that were happening as well. Next part says that, have you been blamed, shamed for someone else's actions? He went through this. This is still in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. In other words, he went to the cross and he went through all the things for us. And then our assumption as humans in all of humanity and our arrogance was, look, he must have done something wrong. It's his fault. But he's taken our bill. He's taken our problem. And so we look at the suffering that he goes through and we say, do you know what? To abide in him is to understand the depth of his love to take on our struggle, our problem, our issue, and to make it his own. And to understand and to remember and to relate with him and the sacrifice that he made. And then when we take that back into our own life and we say, how do we live? And we go through something. You know, there might be times where we're serving somebody, trying to help them move forward, and they got stuff going on and it seems to come back on us. And we're going through something in a struggle. And it's like, man, this isn't even my problem. It's their problem. And yet we just quietly continue to serve and to love and to care for them and to help them out. As sacrifice. And it's like, man, they're even letting me look like the bad guy here. You know what? He did that for us. And it can teach us how to walk out and to walk in humility and to not have to always like try to like, oh, hey, you know, it's not me. It's their fault. Or to always talk about, you know, a person that we're serving. You know, like, oh, I'm helping that person because they got a lot of problems and I'm trying to help he was just literally just quietly moving forward, working, taking on the load, trying to help and trying to release. And he took it on himself. He could have spoke up at his trial and he didn't do that. He just took on the pain. He took on the suffering, even though he's wrongly punished. You know, sometimes we do that. I have a brother, my older brother. I used to get him wrongly punished all the time. All the time. I had the greatest scheme for a little brother in the history of little brother schemes. And that was that my mom would come in, because everybody roughhoused, as she would come in and say, no more roughhousing. This is it, none. She'd walk out. That's when she was fed up, like she's done. She'd walk out, and the second she walked out, I would, we'd be, she'd sit us on the couch together like this. She'd put us next to each other. She'd say, sit down, don't move. That works. Every time, doesn't it? Never works. Don't move. You're all going to talk to your dad when you get home which didn't mean talk at all. There was no talking. <laughs> my dad came home. We didn't talk with, a, with words. He talked with things that CPS would take us home from now. But he was putting us in line for sure. But she'd say, don't touch each other and don't say a word. As soon as she left, I would reach over and grab his arm. I'd pull it over and I'd pull it around my own neck and hold it right here. And I would start screaming as loud as I could. Mom, he's killing me. And she would come in. And what do you think he's going to do as soon as she tries to come in? He starts pulling his arm away. 
but I'm holding it. So now it's like this. And she would come running in, and she would see, and she goes, every time you do this, just leave your brother alone. She'd grab him and take him in the bedroom and throw him in the bedroom. And then my dad would come home, and he'd get in trouble, and I'm like, that's, that's right. You pick on me, and I'm going to pick on you now. I'm going to use dad to pick on you. But I put him in all kinds of stuff where, do you know what? It wasn't really him. It was me. Okay? And he was taking punishment that he didn't deserve. Okay? And that's just with kids, you know, and just having some, having some fun. He says, fun for me. But Christ takes and puts our punishment upon himself. And he takes the hard punishment. He takes the hard things in life for us. And sometimes as followers of Christ, as we walk through things, he actually puts us in a position where he asks us to do the same for someone else. They're the ones that didn't work. Why am I paying their bill? They're the ones that had an issue with their, with their family and stuff. Why am I taking their kids in? They're the ones that are doing this. Why am I having to help? They're the ones, like, we can have all these things. He says, you know what? Because I want you to take some of the burden. I want you to take some of the struggle. It's their problem. Yes. But it's part of how we learn to live like Christ. And so he takes us through that and he teaches us and to be able to do what he did for us. And so he takes us through that and he teaches us. It says in the next verse, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's just that continued idea of taking on things that, that weren't necessarily his and that we do that, we take on things that aren't ours and we carry these burdens. Do you know it's easier in this sense, it's easier not to follow Christ. It's easier not to be a believer because you know what? Somebody has a problem, see ya. I don't need you here, see ya. I only relate to the people that are, that are, you know, adding value to my life, that's it. Everybody else, man, I got borders and barriers up. Like if you don't add value, you're out. That's how I live. You know what? That's what they teach in the world. They teach that all the time. If you go take things on like how to grow, you go get coaching on like how to move your life forward, how to have success. I mean, one of the, the number one things they teach is, is how to just kind of upgrade just everybody that you're in relationship with and anybody that's not in value, you move them out because you're always just moving up to another tier of people so you can be around the better people. Well, I praise God that he didn't do that to me because I wouldn't have had a shot if he had just hung around people and looked for people that were of equivalent. The people that he put in my life to mentor me, to disciple me, to help me grow, if they would have done the same thing and said, you know what, you're not up to our level, so you can't come A guy took me to lunch with a bunch of different leaders and pastors and stuff when I was desperately trying to come out of addiction. I was a total mess. My family was in shambles. And he says, hey, come on, we're going to go hang out. And we walk into a restaurant. As we walk in the restaurant, there's a table with like 20-something people there, and they're all leaders. And we walk in there, and I look around, and I'm like, where are we right now? And I'm realizing, like, Okay, all these people are like pastors and all that stuff. Why am I here? And he walks up and he doesn't say, hey, this is Andy, the guy I'm trying to fix. He literally walks up and he starts to me, hey, this is my friend Andy. Hey, this is my friend Andy. Hey, this is my friend Andy. And he starts to introduce me to people and we sit down and have lunch. He wasn't afraid to associate with me and to connect with me and bring me into relationship so that I could then benefit from his goodness and his relationship and the wisdom that he had in his own life. And sometimes we need to do that just like Christ did. And it helps us to understand our role if we can understand really kind of what he walked out. That's part of abiding in him. It's to not just look at the good things that he can do for us. But how did he live? And then how do I translate that out and live in my life? To be like him and to do this. 
It says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And they're on trial and they're asking him to defend himself. He doesn't defend himself. The same people that he's coming to save are the ones screaming for him to be crucified. They're literally the ones telling him, go, be crucified. Let's get him out of here. And he has a chance to defend himself. And he can say, hey, the ones that are screaming at me are the ones that did it. They're the problem. I'm here to help them. And he doesn't even do that. What he actually does is he just says, I'm going to stay quiet. Why? Because I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to help these guys. And sometimes it's just putting ourselves aside and allow him to do that. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. So part of understanding and abiding in Jesus is not just the good. Like, how can he bless me? How can he bring me peace? How can he help me? How can he do these things? But part of it is understanding the struggle and the difficulty that he went through in order to make our relationship even possible. And to spend time remembering that, thinking about that, knowing that. And to actually walk in it, because it brings value to what he did. We say, oh, I don't know why, Lord, it doesn't seem like you're with me. Well, we see what he's done for us. We understand that he is with us. He's been through all these things, even when he physically was here. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. He was willing to go through all of that for us and to walk in that. Now, this is part of what it is to not only be a believer, but to understand who our Savior is. And so when you hear about the, the crushing and you hear about the, the suffering and you hear about the different challenges of walking in faith, right? It's like, okay, that sounds great. Sign me up, right? Please sign me up. Who would be in for that? Let's do it. All right, God, we're in. We can do an altar call. We can get the music playing and say, hey, are you going through life right now and you're in need of some more suffering and pain and hardship and to be crushed? Everybody bow your head, close your eyes right now, please. All right, if you're ready for a life of crushing, burden-bearing, agony, and defeat, please raise your hand. With nobody looking around, please look. Oh, look at you, sir. Look at you. You look like a great candidate for some crushing. Nobody would sign up for that. It's not the whole picture, but it is part of the picture. And so some great months later, turn your life over to the Lord. Everything's going to be amazing. And all the hands will shoot up, woo! And then three months later, it's like, hey, I thought that I got into this whole, like, really good, like, you know, awesome thing, and, like, I'm going through a hardship. What happened? It seems like I'm still having struggles. Yes, it's part of the thing. It seems like I have more struggles. Sometimes that happens. It's seeing the whole picture and understanding the whole ride, that we're going to go through all of these things as part of our life. If you're going through a suffering, it doesn't mean that God's left you. If you're going through a hard thing, it doesn't mean that you've just lost all of God's favor. Oh, I'm going through this. I must have lost God's favor. I don't know what I did wrong. I've got to try to find my way back in it. You're already in it. He'll never leave you or forsake you. God's with you. You're going through a suffering or a struggle, not because God's abandoned you, but because he also went through it. And if you're going to walk with him, you're going to go through some valleys of the shadow of death. Because those are the kinds of places he goes. He walks into dead valleys. He goes to graves where people are at and pulls them back out. He goes and sees the people that are sick. He goes to the lepers. If you're going to be with him, you're going to go through some hard things. You're going to be around some hard people in some hard situations. You're going to get accused like he got accused. You're going to be through things. It doesn't mean that you've somehow lost the goodness or the favor of God. 
I don't feel like I have enough money. I must have lost the favor. I did something wrong. That doesn't mean you've lost the favor of God. He didn't even have a place to sleep. It says he had no place to lay his head if you're going to come and follow him. And so you have to understand that it's actually part of walking with him. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that's come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ. Woo! It's awesome. But why? So that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. Romans 8, 16 to 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Awesome. Sign me up. Give me the stuff. Give me the blessing. But look at the next part. If indeed we share in his, what, sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There's two parts going on. And it can bring emotional balance and it can bring mental and spiritual well-being if we can have peace. Paul said, I can be content in whatever state I am. Why? Because he never wondered, like, I'm going through a hard time, God's gone. Okay, I'm going through a good time, God's with me. Okay, I'm going through a hard time, God's gone. Okay, I'm going through a good time, God's with me. Okay, I'm going through a suffering, God's gone. I'm going through... he, did, he, he knew he's with me. He suffered, I suffer. He's glory, I get glory. We're going through this together. There's ups and downs. This is a ride, and it's not all just a flat line. Sometimes there's loops. And so I'm going to be locked in with commitment to this thing, and I'm going to ride it out, knowing that this is going to work. And it gets us out of this emotion, three, 10 through 4, that could make it so hard for us sometimes. Philippians 3, 10 through 14, I want to know Christ. He has to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attending to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has saved me and called me onward towards heaven. So he's saying, I'm pressing on, I'm moving towards this, even though there's different things that I can go through, even though I haven't attained all this. So if you want to know him, that word that's in that verse I just read, where it says, I want to know him, the actual word, it's the same word that the angels used when they had talked to Mary and then that whole thing happens where she learns that she's getting, she's pregnant, she's gonna have a baby. They talk to her and that whole conversation, she comes back and she says, but how can this be? I don't even know a man, right? And she doesn't know, the word know, it's a very intimate, deep knowing. And he, what Paul is saying is if I want to know God, it's deep and it's intimate. It's gonna have ups and downs to reveal this stuff to me. Like to get into that type of a level, to know what he walked, is to become, through deep intimacy, you know, my son's doing landscaping now with Brandon. I grew up landscaping. I grew up doing shoveling dirt, lifting rocks, doing all this stuff, to where like when you, if anybody else has ever done that, when you leave and you're done for the day and your fingers lock up, anybody else ever done that? Like you've shoveled so long and picked so long that when you walk away, like your fingers literally, this whole muscle gets tight and you're walking away and your hand just literally locks like that and it won't unlock unless you grab it and you have to actually pull your fingers back out because all the muscles just cinch you back up. Like, I used to have that all the time. If I tell my kid about that, he doesn't know what that is. Now he does. And guess what? It's creating some bonding because we've both done what? We've shared in the same suffering. I understand where he's at. He understands where I'm at. God wants us to be able to know him better and sometimes to know each other better and in a deeper way, and to bond in a deeper way. And one of the ways he does that is he does it through allowing us to walk through suffering together. 
allows us to go through a struggle together. So if you've gone through a struggle, if you've gone through pain, if you've gone through hurt, if you've gone through abuse, if you've gone through financial trials, if you've gone through things, it's not to hide and be ashamed of, but you bring it out and you share your suffering and someone else shares their suffering and somehow in God's crazy design that when you bring the two sufferings together and people share them, his blessing comes out of it. And life comes out of death. Resurrection and hope comes out of crucifixion and suffering. And it's a way that we know him and that we know each other and we abide in his love. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just pray, God, that everybody, Lord, here, Lord, that whatever they're going through, Lord, whatever struggle, God, that they would see, Lord, not just something to escape, but, Lord, something that can lead them closer to you. And if they would open up and share, God, that it could actually be something that brings them closer together with others as they recognize, Lord, your goodness, Lord, and your grace and your love and your care, Lord, to, to work with them through their suffering and ultimately, Lord, to lead them out of it and towards your goodness. God, I pray that everyone, Lord, would be strengthened in their faith. Lord, that they would know you more like Paul said. Father, they would not give up or grow weary in the situation, but God, that they would be strengthened in faith, that they would push on, Lord, to lay hold of what you've called them for. And that, God, their suffering would produce perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, that they would know there would be no disappointment, God, because your love will come back and fill their heart, fill their mind, fill their situation and circumstance, or fill their community with those that they're sharing with and connecting with. And that, Lord, you will work it for good, or that they don't need to run from it, or that they haven't lost you, but, God, that you're with them and they can trust you and have your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.